So if you're new here and this is your first Sunday, last week we began a new series, the One Another series. Pastor Nick Runlet kicked us off with the call and the command to love one another which is a foundational one another that these next three weeks all flow out of and point back to. And we were helpfully reminded that this is how they will know that we're his disciples if we have love for one another. So this week's one another is to bear one another's burdens. In the following two weeks, if you want to know what those are, then you'll have to come back. A little bit of a cliffhanger there. So this morning, instead of pointing back to a story of old in history or a current event to try to provide a segue for our time together, I'm actually just going to read through some passages in Galatians 5 to help with the context. We're, we're jumping into a passage that we haven't been in, and so I'd like to provide a, a little bit of helpful backstory. We won't be able to cover everything, not even half of what is covered in Galatians, but we know that some teachers have come in and they're preaching a false gospel and Paul is not happy. There's pride, there's dissension, there's disunity, and Paul is seeking to address that. There are so many beautiful themes in Galatians, one of which would be the theme and the idea of justification by faith alone. But as we get closer to the end of this letter, and, and we get to the verses that Liz just read for us, we've now come to a place where Paul is reminding those in Galatia, there at the beginning of chapter 5, that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And as he works through chapter 5, we get to this idea of the desires of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And so... We'll begin with Galatians 5, 13 through 15, and this is a, a segue back to last week as well as into the text that we're going to be in today. Listen to these verses. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then a warning here, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So there's the flesh and the spirit. And now in 16 through 24, he continues on speaking of the spirit and then provides two helpful lists, the works of the flesh and then the well-known fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. So let's read those together. Verse 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do but if you are led by the spirit you are not under law and here comes the first list now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then comes our next list, the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, we come now to this section in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit versus the desires of the flesh. The flesh waging war, trying to prevent us from following those commands of Christ to love one another. And as we'll see today, to gently restore one another and more specifically to bear one another's burdens. We can only do that through the help of the Spirit. There's a main idea of the text on the screen. I'll read that for you. It says, as we resist the temptations of pride in the flesh, let us keep in step with the Spirit and show our love to others through gentle restoration and burden bearing. One more time, as we resist the temptations of pride in the flesh, let us keep in step with the Spirit and show our love to others through gentle restoration and burden bearing. Tony Merida, a professor, author, a writer had this to say about this section of Galatians. It's about how life in the Spirit should lead Christians to live out their faith in biblical community, not seeking to do this alone, but with one another. So the outline for today, there are three things that we're called to, but there's also three cautions that Paul provides. And we'll work through each of those in order. So with this context As our background, let's jump into our first point, verses 25 through 26. Walk in step with the Spirit and a caution from Paul. We'll read these verses again. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we've already gone through some prior verses. The Spirit is mentioned several times here in Galatians 5. And Paul's saying, if, if we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's practice what we preach. Let's not talk about it only, but let's, let's be about it. Makes me think of James chapter 3. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? We know that the answer to that is no. Spiritual fruit should come forth from spirit-indwelled believers. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. This idea of some military terminology comes to mind. Falling in line, receiving your orders, getting in line, following the commands, and marching forward to carry them out. And then Paul provides a helpful caution here. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. A simple Webster's definition of conceited, excessively proud of oneself or vain. The King James Version, I think, says it well. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, self-focus, self-righteousness, and pride. And now we have two other one another's, but these are ones we're supposed to avoid and not practice. Don't provoke one another and envy one another. These things are happening amongst those there in Galatia, and Paul is warning them. Conceit, provoking, and envy will keep us from fulfilling these commands that Christ has given us to love, to gently restore, and to bear one another's burdens. 
Now, I know that these two verses come at the end of chapter 5, so why are we starting there? It's a helpful recap of a lot that we've seen in chapter 5 and provides a launching pad into these next two points that we'll now look to. Point number two, gently restore those caught in any transgression. And a second caution from Paul. I want to read 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then the caution, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So let's unpack this together. And as a reminder here, 6.1 is an example of what we're called to in 6.2. We're going to see in just a moment, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 6.1 is an example of how we can do that. Not the only example or the main one, but we, we kind of have an illustration of what he's about to call us to in 6.2. One of the ways we can bear burdens is to seek to gently restore those caught in any transgression. Now, when we see this phrase, caught, if anyone is caught in any transgression, don't think about this like a game of tag, like, gotcha, I caught you, or, or looking over someone's shoulder as they're in the act of sinning. That could take place, and we should seek to gently restore that individual, but this could also be someone who's felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit already, and they're coming to you. Not that they've been caught in the act, but they're coming to you. We should seek to gently restore that individual as well. There's a few other translations on the screen that I help. I think will help drive that point home. Not just caught in sin like a game of tag, but overcome, or in the King James Version, overtaken in a fault, overtaken in any trespass, caught in any wrongdoing, or I think this is helpful, overcome by sin. So not caught like a game of tag, but caught up in, wrapped up in, overcome by sin. And we all know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He sets traps and snares and temptations come our way. And all of us are prone to fall. 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us to be alert and of sober mind because our enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. This could happen to any of us. So these transgressions, and, you know, before going into a list of, of what these look like, this could be all shapes and sizes, colors and stripes. We don't have to look back much further than chapter 5, the works of the flesh list that we just went through. It could be any of those. It says anyone caught in any transgression. This could be gossip, slander. This could be sexual immorality. This could be lying, a shady business deal. This could be adultery, murder, stealing. Anyone caught in any transgression. And then we're shown what we're supposed to do. We have a, a who, a what, and a how. The who is you who are spiritual. And we don't need to overcomplicate this. This is talking about what we just read in 525. You who are spiritual are those who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus Christ. This isn't the spiritual elite, whatever that even means. This isn't just pastors and elders and teachers. This isn't the Navy SEALs of the Christian army. This is anyone who's indwelled with the Holy Spirit, who's seeking to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. That's who should do this restoring. 
I like how the NIV says it. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Referring directly back to Galatians 5.25. If you're indwelled with the Spirit and you're a believer, you are that, you who are spiritual. You're in that category. And so now the what? We're to restore. We'll see later to do it gently, but right now the what is to restore The same word there, mending or repairing. Back in Matthew in the Gospels when Jesus is calling his disciples, James and John are in the boats mending their nets. It's the same root word there. They've been using their nets trying to catch some fish. Maybe they've got some tears, some snags. They're cleaning some junk out or some dead fish. They're repairing them, getting them back ready to be used again. Same idea. For the medical professionals in the room, this is like a bone that's needing to be reset or a joint that's been dislocated. I worked in an emergency room for a little while, lots of gruesome stories, I won't share any of those today, but it's like a hip that's needing to be reduced or set back into place. I can remember that was a very painful and laborious thing. I would see that in the emergency room, a young resident like literally standing on the bed trying to maneuver that hip in such a way to get it back into its joint. And it was painful. And oftentimes medication was needed in order for that to take place. And then once it was reset, if it was reset, oftentimes a surgery to follow. And then after a surgery, what comes after that? Rehab, physical therapy, painful, long process sometimes. And this is exactly the idea of what it would look like for a a spirit-indwelled believer to come alongside a brother or a sister in Christ who has a spiritual joint that's out of place to come alongside them gently, carefully. We see something's going on on the outside. It's easy to see a dislocated shoulder or a dislocated hip or or a, a fractured bone, especially if it's sticking out of the skin, but not just looking on the outside. They go and do x-rays to see what's going on internally. That's what a brother or a sister in Christ comes alongside to do as well, looking at the inside, at the heart, what's going on at the heart level that's caused that sin to come about. And with care and caution, They seek to set that spiritual joint back in place, but it's not just a quick and easy fix. There's spiritual rehabilitation that needs to take place as well. It's not a one and done quick fix and then you're out. You're walking alongside that person, seeking to restore them, repair them, mend them back to the way that they once were, to be back in fellowship with the Lord in the proper way and oftentimes with his people. This reminds me a lot of the church discipline section we see in Matthew 18. We won't read through all of that, but Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, Paul isn't saying that we go do gentle restoration if we have personally been involved with that sin or been sinned against, but the idea here is that we're going after them. Everyone's not always quick to come to you with their their struggles or those transgressions that they're in. Sometimes we have to go after them. And we know that church discipline often gets a bad rap, and and sometimes rightfully so, a heavy-handedness or a lack of care and caution in that restoration process, sometimes hurting people more than helping them. But the goal should be restoration. And thankfully, we know that ultimately it's Jesus 
who does that restoring. One of the best things that we can do is come alongside and point someone to Christ, the one who does that restoring. Thankfully, we've been called into being a part of that process. And now comes the how. How are we to do this gentle restoring? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is gentleness. Love was the first one. I believe the eighth one is gentleness. It says that we should do this restoring in a spirit of gentleness. There's a couple things that could help us with that. First, look to Christ as our example of a gentle restorer. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and what? Learn from me. And right after the learn from me, one of the things that we can learn from him, although there are many things specifically here, he's saying, I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. One of the things that we can learn as we look to Christ as he has sought to care and restore us time and time again is his gentleness and his lowliness. And that last verse there, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this doesn't mean gentle is to not say anything at all, to skip over it, to to just push it to the side, although oftentimes the one being restored would love that. We like to hide in our sins. It's not saying to do that. We simply do it gently. The woman who was caught in adultery, who was brought before Jesus, and they're ready to stone her to death, they wanted to destroy her. Christ wanted to restore her. But in that story, He tells her something. He says, go and sin no more. He's not just saying, oh, I don't condemn you. He's addressing that sin, and we should do the same. Not only can we look to Christ, but one of the ways that we can seek to gently restore is to take an inward look at our own hearts. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Part of this answer is looking to ourselves first. I know that we all know this passage from Matthew 7, but verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice what it doesn't say. You see a speck in your brother's eye? Well, point one, look at the log in your own eye. Point two, go home and don't say anything about it. That's not what it says. Look to yourself first. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to go and take the speck out of your brother's eye. Looking towards our own hearts, remembering where we were before we came to know the Lord, and even as saved saints, we still stumble and fall, recognizing the sins in our own hearts. Paul encourages Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16 of chapter 1, or 1 Timothy 4, 16, keep a close watch on yourself. That helps us in that gentle restoration process. And here where it says that we could also be tempted, there are a few things that could mean. I think all of these are possibilities. One, that you could fall into the exact same transgression that that person's dealing with that you're seeking to restore. I think that's valid. I think maybe more helpfully we should think of that more broadly as you come alongside someone seeking to restore them in sin. Be careful that you don't fall into any sort of other transgression You're not good enough. You're not above it. You could be doing the restoring on Monday and by lunchtime on Tuesday be in need of someone coming to restore you. We all need that. 
And that happens to us. It sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed unless he fall. And last but not least, I believe this is definitely something Paul is wanting to draw our attention to, especially with the continual drive towards the idea of pride in the flesh. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted to think of yourself in a way full of pride, looking down on the person that you're seeking to help. Kind of like the Pharisee in the tax collector story in Luke 18. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, unjust, extortioners, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. We should see that for the self-righteousness that it is. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted to pride. So a few takeaways here. Who is to do this restoring? Those who are spiritual. Those spirit-indwelled believers seeking to keep in step with the spirit. How are we to do it? Gently, looking to Christ and his example and remembering the sin in our own lives. And what are we to do? Restore them. We should love one another so much and too much to avoid doing this. So if we're going to gently restore those caught in any transgression, we need to do it humbly, watching ourselves with compassion, caution, gentleness, and care. And now we'll turn to our third point, bearing one another's burdens. Verses two through three, we're called to bear one another's burdens and yet again another caution from Paul against pride. Let's read these verses together. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That word bear, Pastor Nick Runlet mentioned this last week in the point to love one another. It's not just a suggestion, it's a command. And not just a command, but one to be carried out continually, to carry, to bear up, to tolerate, to help, to support, or my favorite, to lift up or to lighten the load. John MacArthur in his study notes on this particular section helpfully reminded, this is the idea of carrying something with endurance, not just coming alongside that fallen brother, picking him up, brushing him off, patting him on the back and heading on. Coming under that yoke or that burden of heaviness and helping them carry it, not necessarily carrying it for them, but with them as we point them to Christ. That's what it is. Here's what it's not. Again, pointing back to the Pharisees, not trying to pick on them too much, but Matthew 23 and the seven woes. Jesus was speaking to the crowds and his disciples And in verse 2 he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. The exact opposite of Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. They preach one thing and practice another. And to carry it on even further, instead of lightening the loads, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. As I already mentioned, 6-1 is 
an example of how we can bear burdens, but it's not the only example. What, what could this look like? Let's not just think about the, the extravagant, obvious, really big things, although we need to be prepared for those, and, and those are important to address, but this could be the everyday life burden-bearing things that we can do as brothers and sisters in Christ. Financial burdens, emotional burdens, mental health burdens, relational burdens all the way from dating to engagement to newly married to married for 25, 35, 45, 55 years. Marital burdens, college student burdens, infertility burdens, you name it. This list as well could come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And we're to help come under that heaviness and bear that burden alongside our brothers and sisters. I want to share a story. Uh, you know, we recently took a, a trip uh, to France to care for the missionaries there, learn more about what they were doing there in Strasbourg. And one of the last nights we were there, we were enjoying a meal at the missionaries' home. And they, they had shared a lot during the week. They do a tremendous amount of work with refugees, and they face a lot of adversities while they're there. I won't go through that whole list, but... I'm assuming you know fleeing persecution from a particular country, trying to find refuge in a new location in a distant land where you don't know the language and don't have a job and don't have finances. It could be tough. And there's one particular lady, I'll change her name, uh, Fatima. She was a refugee from another country, crossed paths with these missionaries and had a lot of heartache and burdens in her life. And one night she sent a text to these missionaries that was concerning Concerning enough that they left their homes and went over to Fatima's apartment and found her there, having just sought to take her own life. And they called the appropriate people, got her to the hospital, praised the Lord, her life was saved. And when she woke up from the state that she was in and realized she didn't die, she was frustrated and angry at those missionaries, but they were there at the hospital with her, caring for her found a new place for her to live, at least for a period of time, with one of the missionaries, brought another worker in to help care and watch over this young lady, and at that point in time was a non-believer. And I know that every story doesn't always turn out this way, but through that care and burden-bearing, Fatima has come to know the Lord as her Savior and has been baptized. And not only that, she's now helping out with the ministry there in Strasbourg, particularly with other refugees. And Justin passed along a text that she had sent to him. Justin's the missionary there. And I won't go through it all, but one of the things that stood out the most was that Fatima was talking about the healing balm on her heart that she's received through now caring for these other refugees in the way that she's been cared for. Yes, we for sure are to love one another and bear one another's burdens here within the body, and that's how people will know that we're his disciples because we have love for one another, but we can do that outside of our church body as well. And just a sweet story and example, and yes, I understand that's one of the more grandiose examples, but brothers and sisters coming alongside those in need and loving them like Christ has shown his love. So this idea of burden-bearing we see here, it's fulfilling the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean exactly? There's lots of different ideas. Many commentators would agree and say that this does point back to the command we saw last week to love one another. 
We see that in John 13, 34. As we read earlier in Galatians 5, 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some other commentators said, well, if it's not just that, maybe it's the entire New Testament teaching of Jesus, which would still include to love one another. Or perhaps his whole life as an example, which would also mean to love one another like he has done. But there's a, a quote I want to share and put it on the screen from Thomas Schreiner. I think he says it well here. The law, according to Paul, must be interpreted Christocentrically with Christ at the center so that it comes to its intended completion and goal in Christ. The law of Christ is equivalent to the law of love as referenced there in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. So that when believers carry the burdens of others, they behave as Christ did and fulfill his law. In this sense, Christ's life and death also become the paradigm or the exemplification or explanation of love. And then this leads us to our last caution in Galatians 6.3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We've already talked about how none of us are above falling. But this is another warning yet again against pride. The pride of thinking that you're too good to bear someone else's burdens. The New Living Translation says for verse 3, If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Or the pride that comes because you are helping someone else bear their burdens. Self-righteousness. The pride of the Pharisee. Oh, thank you, Lord, that that's not me. Or how about this one? We haven't talked about this yet today. What about the pride of thinking that you are too good to be helped and have your burdens shared with others? That they could come alongside you and help you. As we come to a close here, I think it's helpful to be reminded that for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, it is only by grace that we've been saved through faith and this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And as we were in pastoral development this week, talking over this passage, I was helpfully reminded of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, which I think encapsulates all of what we've talked about today. Look here on the screen with me. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. That last part there, be patient with all. In case our, our pride in burden-bearing ever causes us to say, how long, O oh Lord, do I have to walk alongside this person? I've done this and said this time and time again, over and over again. One, was, is that something you'd want them to hear? Is that something you would want others to say about you as they bear your burdens? Or most importantly, if we're asking how long, O Lord, how long has Christ bore our daily burdens and struggles? Not just on the cross, bearing our sins, but daily bearing our burdens and our sorrows. I think of Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
So now as we enter into a time of some application and maybe some questions to ask, before we get to a list of to-dos, although they are evident here, there's no way around it. There are some things we are commanded and called to do first and foremost before we seek to go and do something. Stand amazed in his presence. Be reminded of how great God is. Christ Jesus as the great burden bearer. For those of us who are in right relationship with God, the Lord through his son Christ. Rejoice in that. And yes, there are some things that we're called to here, to love others, to resist the flesh, to resist the temptations to pride, to seek to gently restore others and bear their burdens. But also if you're here today and don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to run to him with all of your burdens and sorrows and sins and cast him at his feet and know that he loves you and cares for you and wants to bring you into right relationship with the Lord. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you can be forgiven of your sins, and I would encourage you to let Christ bear those sins. You can't bear them on your own. There's no way to the Father except through the Son. And if that's you today, I would love to talk with you. I'll be down at the front after the service is over to talk more about what it means to to come into relationship with the Lord. But there are a few questions I want to put up on the screen. We'll briefly work through these. Um, maybe this is something you could look at later today or this week or a small group, a friend, a family member. This isn't all of the takeaways, but here are a few. Are there any forms of pride taking root in your heart that are preventing you from keeping in step with the Spirit? It's always good to do a little heart check and to have someone walking alongside you to help you with that pointing out some blind spots. Number two, is there someone in the body of believers that you need to lovingly and gently seek to restore and to not put excuse after excuse after excuse on it? Oh, they're not going to receive that well. I know how they're going to respond. It may very well be that the Lord's choosing you to be one of those individuals to initiate that restoration process, pointing them to him. Or number three, is there someone that comes to mind whose burdens you could help to lighten here in the church body or maybe even outside of the church body? Number four, are there things keeping us from bearing one another's burdens and or being willing for others to bear our burdens? I know I've only mentioned this one time, but there is the pride of self-righteousness to think that you're too good to be helped and going back to this idea of biblical community one more quote on the screen here tony merida says this well god saves us and empowers us by the spirit in order that we may live in community with believers who fulfill his mission in the world this is christianity loving one another and some are busy But you can be busy and lonely. This is what researchers call crowded loneliness. We need to replace crowded loneliness with biblical community. We are not called to do this on our own. We are needy people. We need others in the body of believers. And there are others within the body of believers that need us. And we're only able to fulfill these commands and carry them out as we seek to resist the pride in our hearts, resist the flesh, and keep in step with the Spirit. I know normally at the end of a sermon, 
we rightfully respond in, in worship and song. We're responding to what we've just heard in the text. This morning, uh, we have the privilege of getting to hear from one of our brothers in Christ who's going to speak more into this. Testimonies are a sweet way to get to hear of the Lord's goodness within our church body. So Nathan Carr is going to share a testimony with you this morning. Good morning, church family. Uh, my wife Hannah is uh, getting the kids ready for second service, so she'll be up here later. Uh, but we've been members here at CCF for almost four years. Um, we have three boys, our two-and-a-half-year-old Titus and uh, twin six-month-olds Elijah and Everett. Uh, our church family here at CCF has been such a blessing to us, and we are asked today to share about our testimony of how the CCF family has bared our burdens well. So about a year ago when we found out we were having twins, it was a shock. <laughs> we knew it was going to be a lot having two kids under three, but three under three was just another level. We're extremely thankful for our kids and the opportunity that the Lord has given us to disciple them, uh, but it, it has been very hard. The first four months uh, were especially hard. Um, sorry. <laughs> the, bur the burdens we uh, faced in this time resulted in, in physical, um, mental, and spiritual exhaustion. Uh, including just the physical recovery for Hannah while taking care of, of two newborns, uh, sleepless nights, trying to balance the care of, of the two infants, uh, stress from just the competing uh, pressures of life, uh, anxiety and mental health difficulties, uh, guilt, feelings of, of helplessness, Uh, it, overall, it was, it was much harder than, than we, we could have imagined. Uh, that being said, our, our church family uh, truly bared our burdens well. Uh, and I'd like to just kind of provide a list of, of some ways in which you, the church, uh, bared our burdens. So first off, prayer, consistent prayer and reminders that we were being prayed for, hmm. a meal train, cleaning our house, dishes, clutter, sweeping, mopping, and so much more. Uh, bringing kids over to play with Titus, um, sacrificing the everyday routines and schedules in order to do so, encouragement through calls, texts, and visits, counseling, inviting us to do life uh, with you so we weren't stuck in the house, visits to let us catch some sleep or run errands, and then small things like uh, holding our babies to give us a break at small group or sending us gift cards so we could go on a date, uh, and then late night visits, counsel, and help in the many moments of despair. Hmm. Uh, I could continue on, but the point is that our, our church family here at CCF has bared our burdens, and for that we're thankful. So I hope our short testimony today serves as an example for how our church bears burdens, hmm. an encouragement for all of us to look for ways to serve others in the body, and a uh, demonstration of our thankfulness to the Lord for giving us the church and our thankfulness to you, our church, uh, that has loved and served us so well. So thank you. Thanks for sharing, brother. Thank you to so many in our church body who have sought to live these commands out, to love one another well, to bear burdens well. And 
There are so many other stories and examples that many of you don't know about, but we have been tremendously blessed here at CCF with a church body that loves Christ and loves one another well. And so as we close this morning, I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the good gift of the church body. Thank you for the example we have in Christ of his self-sacrifice and human humility and gentleness and lowliness. Seeing him serve and love and care, not condemn, but also not being afraid to point out sin. Lord, help us in the days ahead as a church body. Love one another well, restore one another well, and bear one another's burdens well to your glory for your name's sake. And we pray that others might see that we are your disciples, by the way, that we love one another. Give us wisdom and discernment and guidance from the Spirit as we seek to do this in a way that's pleasing to you. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.